previously recorded YouTube video. If you'd like to watch that YouTube video, go to www.youtube.com and search for Chris Chocolat. Welcome to Chris Chocolat Live. Today we're going to unbox or reveal the Wonderland box set here with Joe, and then we're going to talk about 10 questions we like to ask Jimi Hendrix. If you're joining us on replay, um, we'll be, again, talking about the Wonderland box set and the 10 questions we're going to be asking Jimi Hendrix. It's pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. It's one of my first albums I've really, like, dived into. So I'm pretty excited. I'm excited, too. I was I, I got the Wonderland box set at a when uh, um, one of the local record stores mm -hmm. um, uh, closed down, unfortunately. But the positive side of that was I got a uh, cheap Wonderland box set. Which, so, man, score. So uh, let's get into it. Um, I think we can show everybody. This is the Wonderland um, Jimi Hendrix Experience box set. Why don't you open it up? Oh, uh, yeah. We'll see. You guys want to see what's inside? <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe they do. Or not. And Joe is part of Baby Shark Beard, so you may know him from, from that. Yeah. So this is cool that... I like to, this is the, uh, it's upside down. Jay got upside down. There we go. Yeah. Is it, so, is, it <laughs> is it normal now? Okay. This is a, they have a. It's psychedelic, man. It is psychedelic. You gotta be upside down to get it. Is, is that, is that what it is? <laughs> All right. It's not upside down. <laughs> just like his, the way Jimmy Hendrix plays guitar, he's playing left handed upside down. So yeah, it's just one of those things. Play upside down that way. So, of course, of course it is. Um, All right. But I thought this was uh, there's some great shots of him playing at Wonderland. The uh, that they included in the, in the box set, and little little blurbs about um, about Jimi Hendrix, Jimi Hendrix experience, the band, and uh, some information might might not otherwise know. It's, um, I thought production-wise, it was it's a. Uh, um, see this. It's yeah, very. Jimi Hendrix fan. This is. It was awesome. Yeah, the art, the prints in it, like the shots were specific to, you know, ex like exclusive to that album as far as what I did. Which well, is let's, really well, why don't we split up? Let's, let's pull them out one at a time so folks can okay. back up. You got, so there, there's eight, and this is being eight separate albums in here. Oh! oh. There ends up being seven, seven <laughs> separate <laughs> albums in the, uh, in the box set. That sucker flew out there quicker than. Yeah, All right, let's put that, we'll put that back. Yeah. Well, one thing you can see the vinyl in here is 180 gram vinyl. Um, I don't think I'm going to scratch this thing. Okay. Sorry about uh, that. Um, so it's a really nice vinyl. The uh, like the first record, this has got um, Suicide of Your Love, um, Hear My Train Coming, and the other side is Tax Free and Lover Man. Um, this was all from the that 1968 uh, Wonderland concert. It has the uh, high quality inserts. Keep your records from getting scratched. Unless, of course, you invite Joe over. Well, even to me to chuck an album, a collector album, out of its carrying case onto the floor. Would you like to see number two? Let's <laughs> try to keep them safe. The the we'll try to keep them in the um, the case. 
So yeah, here's number two. Um, this has got this has got Killing Floor, Foxy Lady. I love the rendition of Foxy Lady on here. Hey Joe, Star Bagel Banner, of course, Purple Haze. Oh yeah. Um, all these are. This is October 10th in, in San Francisco. So that's for two. Then uh, what three. You is it sure? Three. And we played we played uh, Hey Joe the other night. I think off this one. Yeah, yeah, Hey Joe, which was absolutely awesome. So we were spinning. How did you like the? How did you like hearing it on vinyl versus um, when you when you play it off of? What do you normally listen? To music? So I just, I mean, I stream. It's usually like on you know, Spotify, Spotify or something like that. Um, obviously, the record, the vinyl experience is, you know, it's you got the collector, the collection part of it, right? So you've got all this packaging, and, and it's just cool to have it on vinyl, um, and the artwork that comes with the albums. I would say for me, I don't know if I didn't, I mean, I don't really have that here yet. I think it's probably something kind of like cooking. Like the more you do it, the more you like pick up those little details. But because I feel like listening to it on vinyl is like you're going to catch more things than you would just like streaming on Spotify or something. You can. I mean, a lot of it has to do with your setup. So like, mm -hmm. like if you have, I mean, if you're listening to it on small headphones, if you're listening mm -hmm. to it on, like, on small headphones, sure, um, it's hard to pick up. Detailed differences, but if you're okay, um, you've got big, you've got bigger Good speakers, speakers. And a bigger amp, like a, a, a little bit better amp. You don't have to go crazy expensive, but you can you can start picking up, you can start hearing differences. Okay, as well. What did, so, so what did you think? We listened to it downstairs. It wasn't the Hey Joe. I listened to pretty much. I think it was at least a couple of these shows on Spotify. I think that's all they had, but. I would, I would have to say Purple Haze, man. That was one of my favorite favorite tunes off that this album. So. Yeah, I like Purple Haze too. He was uh, he's going for. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it's supposed to be the whole LSD experience, the psych mm -hmm. experience. Um, so kind of the time distortion. Oh, depersonalization yeah, in Purple Haze in Purple Haze depersonalization man I gotta say like Purple Haze is just one of those ones where you turn that song on and it's just like you can't help like you can have a completely crappy day right you know whatever's going wrong that song like you can't not be in a good mood after hearing that song I know shit I was playing it took it took me this is several hours of the music but I, every time I put it on there mm. I'm air guitaring downstairs of course, yeah. I'm air guitaring I believe way. it like I'm air guitaring <laughs> and I remember he's like like I'm not like, like I'm not you're either left like I'm doing it yeah I'm doing you know the, you have the, the traditional oh air okay air guitar yeah yeah okay so but my I don't know if there's a wrong is there a wrong way to play the air guitar well I'm saying I'm not, I'm not I'm not air guitaring Jimi Hendrix I'm not I wasn't like I was I'm doing my own guitar oh not, okay not not the method acting of getting into being Jimi Hendrix. Yes. Okay. Yes. I, I was not doing that. But I, as soon as I put it on there, you're right. It's like the, the, um, I mean, it was the motion I got off. It was, I, it's, it's just fun. It is. I mean, a lot of times it's just fun. Picks you up. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good tune. That, that, uh, bit in there where, uh, excuse me while I kiss the sky. Dude, I sing that all the time. Just like, I'll be just at work randomly. Like, you know, just bored out of my mind. And, uh, it's just a good tune, man. Yeah, it just it's just awesome. Uh, too. The, the, these are a couple. So like this seven here, 
is um, a bonus disc. It's got Foxy Lady, it's got Beauty Child and Red House. Um, so it's a couple. Foxy Lady. Yeah. I think everybody knows that too. Like you could just say that to like, you know, someone who's like 12 and they'd be like, I've heard that before. So if you're 12, they would be. Yeah, they know. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? You just know. I'm trying to think of like I walked around singing Foxy Lady when I was 12. All right, remember my bike. Um, the, the, uh, album eight here, um, has, starts with another version of Purple Haze, but also has this cool interview from the Boxing Garden backstage interview. And I love listening to that with, uh, yeah, I would love to check that out. Um, uh, and listening to, um, Jimi Hendrix. The guy interviewing him is so pretentious. Um, really? Yeah, because he, he's like, he's like coming across like, why should Americans pay attention to these British band invasions? He's like, why should, why should we be paying attention to you over there in, in England? And, uh, um, and Jimmy's like, like he doesn't know what to do with this guy. Can, yeah, what do you say to that? Like, <laughs> well, war's over. <laughs> I mean, that's. I don't know. That seems like a very uh, pretentious. Like, oh, yes. so like, he, yeah, this guy doesn't think thinks the uh, this uh, our independence so, hasn't happened yet. I, you know, I just feel like, yeah, like he's holding on to like, you know, I don't know. Maybe he thinks like it's the greatest country in the world. I don't know. I get it, but I mean, those are their allies. There's good things that come out of that area, right? Yeah, and there's good things in in America as well, like. Yeah, but why did all these UK? I think his thing is why are all these little UK bands? You know, why are these British bands coming over to the you know US now? Oh, because okay. you got you know the same time Beatles and you got oh you know, right right okay yeah well, I don't know then yeah I'd, what do you say to that? Because we... Jimmy was just like oh, I, I want to <laughs> <laughs> yeah you said the you, musicians yeah that's what it was like backstage when he was getting ready to practice um, it was just it just kind of. The interview style was was very much like that, where he's like, "I want to go practice," and they go, oh, um. "Yeah, I mean, as a musician, their goal is to spread. They want to. I mean, they're entertaining and expressing themselves through the music to the people, right? So it's it's not a matter of you know where it is. It's just they want they want to reach out to everybody. I think in, in that way, that's probably why they. That's why if I was a musician, if I could play music, yeah, I'd be traveling everywhere. I'd be like, let's travel and." See lots of people. I don't know. Hang out. Be cool. And see if so you mean like in South Sudan, just trying to solve the, the <laughs> conflict out there. If I could, I would, man. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't kill each other. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I will do it. Yeah, why not? So we want. Well, cool. So the uh, oh, let's see, we have the backside. So that was pretty much the entire box set reveal. I really like this purchase. I thought it was a uh, um, surprisingly good, like uh, with all the different goodies in this. Mm -hmm. And now that I have seven nice records, um, it's even. It's still pretty good with seven records instead of my original eight. Thing. Yeah, I, I'm. You know, like I said, for me, this was a really cool experience uh, diving into Winterland. So, but what did you really think? Like when you listened to it on vinyl downstairs, like what did mm -hmm. you did you did you were you like, oh, this is cool, or are you just like, all right, Chris has got this set up, and I don't hear any difference. Um, no, you can you can. I th I think it was something more that like I felt more than like I really had a you know like the subs were rocking. Yeah, like the <laughs> yeah. I mean, like as far as like the technology side of it, 
like listening on vinyl and et cetera. Like you could just, you could feel there was a difference compared to streaming on Spotify so, to my, you know, earbuds. So if I got you a, um, like a vintage record player. Yeah. Would you. You're going to do that? What would you listen to? This is a what if situation. Okay. Well, I have one in the garage. I just need to clean it up. Well, let's clean it up. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely listen to it. I think it'd be cool. It's like a, it's not a fancy one. I think it's like a, I think it's a Merit. It's like an old, I think it's 19, it's, I mean, it's, it's right in the prime of, of uh, record players and stuff. Oh, wow. So, stuff. so for me, you know, asking someone who, who more knows about this, why, why vinyl? Well, some of the so sometimes when they put it on CD, it, I mean, if you get a good quality CD, you can get yeah. a really good sound. And so you you gotta have decent speakers, you have to have a decent amp. Okay. Um, a lot of times, not a lot. Some of the CDs they make or when they do a digital, they compress it so it sounds good on little speakers. And so when they play it on big speakers, you don't get the full. You, you miss stuff that's okay. not that hasn't been encoded. Um, and so if you get a high quality, especially if you go to a super audio CD, you get a really good high quality music. If you're looking for uh, on vinyl, a lot of times you can get a really high quality recording mm -hmm. for like two bucks. Like you can go, you can find a, a vinyl record for two bucks and you can get a super, you know, really nice recording. Um, you can also like you're buying, I mean, this was, this is a more expensive box set, um, but you can, you can still get a, uh, a really high quality audio experience. It's recorded in okay. analog, um, so you're you're you're. Uh, some people will call it a warmer experience as you're listening to it. But it, like personally, I you feel it. Yeah, you feel yeah, it a little bit different. But I, I would argue that it, I mean, I, for me, like if, if I start going into a super audio CD, which mm -hmm. is more expensive CD versus like like that starts being equivalent to like a like a high quality. Um, analog system okay uh, like it's, i have a mid-range system like some people have like a hundred thousand dollars like i'm not i'm not like going there but I, I just think you can get a really good quality music yeah off a vinyl record um for really not too expensive uh digital music if you get a high quality audio stream sounds really well too but, it, but it, you have to have that paired with the right amplifier right digital audio converter and and whatnot okay out there but i just I didn't know, like when you were down there, I didn't know what you, like it was. Um, yeah, so it was just a cool, like it, it was like, you know, it's in surround sound. It was just, uh, yeah, it was neat. Yeah. I could, I could see myself just hanging out down there, you know, throwing a record on. Yeah, that lot, at night, that's just what I've been doing is uh, like, like to chill, throw a record on and yeah. hey, kind of chill down. Okay. Yeah, and Scamper, of course. Um, Scamper? Like, he likes to chill as well down there. He perks out. He's joining, he's joining us. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things we want to do now is get into uh, what questions you want to ask Jimi Hendrix. Ooh, questions. Question time. Questions. Let's first put the box set away carefully. <laughs> and uh, we, I have water out here, so I thought, um, yeah, just, let's put. If you could hand me that water, I just need a sip of water before I put this. In no, let's kidding. let's put these away first. Case. Yes. <laughs> cool. So what kind of it's box stuff. Got it? Yes. Safe over here. So what kind of questions you got for Jimi Hendrix? Question yes. first. Question one. Question one. Alright. Uh let's uh those are kind of some, some heavy ones. 
I primarily, I, one of the main ones I think I would like to, I mean, obviously, getting to talk, first of all, scenario, right? We're talking the Jimi Hendrix. This dude's cool. Like, for me, it would just, I, I, I'd be like, ah, dude, you're cool. <laughs> but it, How okay, are you so, so cool? So is he 25 when you're talking to him, or is he... Yeah, I, I think he's probably like 25, 28. So, like, how do you vision talking to Jimi Hendrix? Like, when you're out, when we're asking Jimi Hendrix these questions. So, Jimi Hendrix. Is this, 20, is this Jimi Hendrix when he's 25? Or is this Jimi, is this baby boomer Jimi Hendrix? Like, you're talking to him and he's he's in line at Trader Joe's and um, <laughs> he's grumpy because the line's too long. I see that would be an interesting setting. But I envision talking to Jimi Hendrix like, at a show, right? He just played an insanely awesome show. Uh, he's coming off backstage, and I got cool, kick-ass backstage passes. And I'd be like, "Yeah, what's up, man?" He's like, "Hey, come hang it's out." It's Joe. Yeah. It's Joe. Love me, yeah. Joe, dude. Yeah, yeah I remember you. And yeah, so then, and it would, that would go into like, I'm not really asking questions. We're just hanging out and just yeah. talking. Yeah. And I'd be like, "Hey, you were in the army?" I was like, "Man, I was in the army." No way! Yeah, he'd be like, "What? Get out! Get out!" Screaming eagle? I wasn't screaming eagle. I was an MP in the army. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're keeping everybody else from having fun. <laughs> yeah, that was. Yeah, that was. Uh, you're busting all the. That's sacks. part of the jobs. Yeah. I was what now? You're going after all the the hooch, the uh, the the fake distilleries. There was fake distilleries. I didn't know about this. Like people were trying to make hooch in there, like uh. Oh, in their barracks or something? Yeah. Or like, oh my gosh. Now we did we did a lot of training. That was the unit I was with. We did we did like oh. trained a lot of Afghan police and stuff. Afghan yeah, police stuff, yeah. Um so yeah, I, I would want to know about that because he was attached to, like you said, the Screaming Eagles. Um for those of you know who may not know just a little bit of background about the Screaming Eagles, they're they're a pretty widely known division. Um Airborne! Airborne Hope. For their the roles that they played in, in World War II, I think that's where a lot of people kind of kind of know. Well, even today, I mean, it's the hundred first. today, yeah, the hundred first. Obviously, yeah, the, from World War II and you know so on, right? I remember going to the hundred uh, first. Um, they had the Army ten miler in uh, out there in Virginia. Yeah, and when you run the Army ten miler, all these different units have tents set up at the end, and each unit tries to outdo each other in hospitality and like. In and hospitality? Yeah. So that's like, one I did not think that you were going to say. Yeah, it's hospitality. So you go in there and they have like, who has the best food? So the units from Germany all come in with like some good German schnitzel and, no and beer and stuff. And you get, oh, wow. get, get done running. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, so if you're a fast runner, you get done and you can totally <laughs> pig out on all the good, good food. Oh, but the 101st, awesome. I mean, they have all the cool, they have like all these folks that are like, yeah, this guy was 101st. And so they, yeah. they mentioned Jimi Hendrix and the, uh, Jimmy Hendrix was Screaming Eagle. He was 101st, man. Screaming Eagle. That's really, uh, yeah, it's a really cool uh, um, division. And and paratroopers, right? So he was a paratrooper. And and one of the things I, I remember hearing was a reading. It was the fact that, you know, he was injured during a paratrooping incident. Yeah. And I, so that would be a good question to ask him. Like, what's, what's, what's I think, what's, what's up with that? Because I, I've read somewhere else that he had said he got injured, and that's why he got out of the army. Yeah. But then when they pulled his army records, so I'm worried like someone's gonna pull my records too. Like, like <laughs> hey, you said you did this, but in the records, yeah. stolen valor. We're coming <laughs> oh, for you. Um, 
but they said he got out for, uh, uh, um, really they just said he was a bad soldier. Like when you look at it, and so, but like the history of that is, uh, he was playing guitar all the time. <laughs> like, like, like what I read, he was playing guitar all the time. Yeah. And then finally the first shirt, you know, the Sergeant Major was like, this guy's never going to be a good soldier. He just <laughs> wants to play guitar. Cause I could see, could you, I could totally I could see, see, we're talking about this. I could totally see <laughs> like, like, you know, Ah, where, where's Hendrix? Airborne, <laughs> airborne. He's like, uh, I'm right here, sir. Just hanging out. You know what do you need? Ah, oh, where's Hendrix? <laughs> airborne, airborne. Who? I feel like I could totally see Jimi Hendrix just chilling out, like playing his guitar and like first starting. Hendrix, everyone <laughs> need that guitar. Is you on airborne? <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty true. Yes, I, you know, could you just see him like out in the field, just like everybody's trying to be quiet, you know, enemy lines, and he's just like, whatever, man. I'm just playing, playing my jams. Airborne. <laughs> <laughs> the vehicle's gonna shoot you, airborne. <laughs> well, they won't be able to see us because I'll distract him with my sweet musical notes. Like, it's for Sarge, just like having a meltdown. Oh, I can see it, that. It was like, they're probably just trying to keep the first, I say for Sarge, but the Sarge Major, the Roger game Sarge Major alive, just not Ooh. having a meltdown with having Hendrix in the unit. Because he's probably like, like this exasperated with yeah, the like, progression of like, okay, give me the guitar. Okay, you're going to put it over here. And he's just like a little kid. He's like, okay, I'm going to do it again. And he's like, go get, goes to get his guitar. You know, and he starts playing again. Yeah, and I, I, I could not see, like, the Sergeant Major, airborne. Like, the, like the, the idea that someone's going to take care of a guitar more than they're take care of the, you know. The rifle. Yeah, they're, like, like, that's going to totally melt that's gonna down. Melt, yeah, like, yeah. his whole brain is going <laughs> to yeah. melt down his ears. Before. And the fact that he's, like, not d- doing it, you know what I mean? Like, after you've, like, okay, you had... They talk with the first sergeant and then the squad leaders or something. It's like, okay, we need him to shine his rifle. And then they're going off on him. And he's just like, nah, it's not a... There's no progression of that happening. <laughs> it's crazy. That's it. So I think the question is, is how did you really get out of the army? Me or Jimi Hendrix? Hendrix. I think that's the first <laughs> question. Right? Yeah, that is. Yeah. Right, so what, what happened with that? Obviously, um, paratrooping... I could see it being, you know, an injury because they, they don't hit the ground. Like, people see parachute uh, paratroopers and it's just like, oh, yeah, they glide down and it's a nice, easy, like, you just pull the brakes and just nice, easy landing. No, those guys are falling at, like, 25 miles. With 105 pounds of gear on. Yeah, and with a bunch of gear. It's, like, it, it's, it's astounding that, like, they don't break their legs just randomly. Like, it's crazy. Although, I'm sure that happens. I, I would. I when, the, when the C-17s came online, I remember um, there was a bunch of tests they had to do because the uh, uh, at first they were jumping out and the they were at, um, they were getting into the turbulence and it was flipping paratroopers upside down. That's bad. I mean, when the paratroopers above the parachute. Oh yeah. And so the uh, um, yeah, so they they had to change like the flat formation and stuff as the C-17s were huh. dropping them so that they don't have adverse event or change the static lines too as they jump out so yeah you all types of tests okay when they, when they jump out yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that's crazy yeah that's, that's just okay so that's one of my my questions what was uh, what, what did you get out of the army all right so one of my questions i think um it's kind somewhat kind of related to that it was uh what's your beef with noel ready and the reason why i want to 
asked that was he obviously there's some friction going on with with Noel Redding, um, and he there's a story of him he meets Billy Cox in the army, okay, and they form the band Casuals, and so um, he after the uh, Jimi Hendrix experience he has um, Billy Cox there on bass instead of uh, Noel Redding, mm-hmm. so I think. Um, Kind of based on the fact that I think Jimi Hendrix is a little bit proud about being a Screaming Eagle. Okay. I think he he was bringing a fellow Screaming Eagle in to be his basis, and that bond was just stronger, stronger. than his bond with Noel Reddy. Mm-hmm. But Makes sense. Um, was there just was there something else going on too? I just kind of think it wasn't it may not have been as much when I first read. I was like, man, he really didn't like Noel Reddy. But then I, when I found out. It's like, oh, this guy's another screaming eagle. Yeah. I was like, that's what's going on here. It's this not is... that he didn't like him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, like, what's really going? What was really going on with with um, you know, no ready and and, and I think mm-hmm. you know, and and Billy Cox. So, right. Like I could see, um, like if you didn't know about the screaming eagles and you're in the band, you would just you wouldn't understand what was. Like why you were being uh, kicked out? Oop, we got a. I think the cat wants an escape. Will it jump down or no? no? Skipper. Don't let his non-jumping skills not fool you. That cat <laughs> is a stone cold. Oh my gosh, it's a killer. <laughs> so what's that? What's question three? All right, question three. Uh, let's see here. After one of the breaks, he was talking to. Oh yeah. Okay. So this was on the Winterland album. After one of his songs, uh, I'll do a little quote here. So he just was kind of. I think it was like one of the uh, something broke, right? And they needed a couple minutes, you know, to fix it. So he was just talking to the audience, which was, you know. Which is the awesome part about live shows. But so he says, uh, you know, he's just trying to give you all some kind of natural feeling. You know, <laughs> hope this electric feeling is hitting you in the chest, in your heart. Obviously, I didn't say as cool as he did. He, he just sounds cool when he says, when he says it. Um, but I thought that was a really cool, like, just statement that he was making to the audience. You know, like, he was a dude who was spreading a lot of good vibes, you know, in a time that there was a lot of bad stuff going on basically so i thought it was just cool like that heart to heart with the audience and kind of what he's trying to do you know you know as a human and as as an artist to you know and and that experience you know the Jimi hendrix experience (laughs) it's cool so what's your question at that how are you so cool, man? (laughs) That's good. so like why is that where's the uh i think my question out of it would be you know what what's uh you know what? What's the goal, man? Like you're out there, you're playing shows and stuff. Like it feels like there's more to it than just going out and playing music. Obviously, he loves music, but you know he's kind of like, like I said, spreading those those good vibes to the people. So you know, is that is that kind of what you were doing? You know, like what was your your focus with that? Would kind of be my which is something I would want to know. Yeah. Cool. What's your vibe? Good vibes. So my, this next question, my next, so we, this is, that's a, uh, what is it, what, three? This is four? Three, yeah. Um, how much did the 101st uh, 
influence him or screaming eagles. My question for him would be, and this could be the 25-year-old Jimi Hendrix, but I think I'd rather ask the the older Jimi Hendrix as he reflects back. Okay. Because I'm thinking like when you're 25, maybe you don't quite comp. I say you don't comprehend, but maybe some of the influences that are popping up out of him, yeah. like he doesn't, he's not realizing where they're coming from. So sometimes, like when you're older, like you self-reflect back on, oh, why was I doing something? Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, that's maybe I was more influenced by this than that. Right. So my question is, what you know, why, how much did that hundred first or screaming eagle experience carry over into his career, and specifically? Like I read the story about him and, and the Marshall, you know, when he's playing, there's the Hendrix setting, which is all the way up, right? He He's like, everything's loud. He's going to blow out the Let's speakers. Let's go. Yeah. And so when I hear that, when I heard that, I was like, That's that cool. is so airborne, right? You yeah. Know, yeah there's, no, there's no like zero, like you're either all in or you're not in at all. Like That's you can't be halfway that. in. To airborne, you're like you're yeah. all the way in. When you jump out that plane, like you're you're committed. Yeah. And so yeah, you're, yeah. It's, so that's where I was going. I was like, did 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 he take some of his personality, and then the army just kind of, even though the like they are like you're not a good soldier, but they maybe just kind of honed in this. Um, yeah, he still went through basic training, and then airborne, and then airborne school. So, yeah, yeah. You've got to have. He's yeah. You got to be disciplined to get through that as well, and like you said, committed as well. Um, just that whole hua, you know, you know what I mean? Like he's just we're turning him up all the way. There's no mm-hmm. other setting. Like it, I, I just and it kind of played it played. Yeah, because every pair when I when I talk to folks, always the guys I knew, all the airborne guys I know, it was just you know if your laptop doesn't turn on right away, Break. boom, sicko. You know, <laughs> It's broken, you know, it's out the window, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sigo! computer, right? Sex! So, yeah, that's kind of like, I view this like in Hendrix kind of. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm reading that in that too much. But the other thing, like, he, he, come, he invents the like, Hendrix core. So he comes up with these things that are innovative. Um, and so how much of that was, I mean, it's purely his personality, but did... Mm-hmm. Did that Screaming Eagle experience kind of, kind of, you know, I don't want to say force him, but drove, maybe gave him some drive to be, yeah, everything at full power yeah. all yeah. the time, right. you know. Even he, and he then got he in bar of, fights. When I read that, I was like, really? Yeah, they said that when I, he would go into bars and it was like he liked getting in fights. I'm like, that sounds like every army base I was around in the 90s. Like, if you went to a bar and there was a bunch of army folks around, you were like, let's get in fights. Um, and because it was, what was to do? Yeah, it's just part of the culture, maybe. Yeah, I think in the 70s. And so I think that changed as, as it time progressed. Yeah, I think people just wanted that. As much all amateur bars. Man, I feel like fighting tonight. Let's go to the bar. When I was in Singapore, they they uh, um, I remember Singapore for the port calls, the Navy, but okay. for the port calls, they actually had a separate area of the city state that they made just for U.S. service members when the port call came in. Okay, because they're they're like they all come off the like and it's like they just annoyed everybody in the bars. <laughs> so they basically there's these 
bars that they would open up whenever the port call was okay. just for U.S. service members <laughs> because the culture was so different from the locals. Oh, yeah. Oh, and not to mention that they've been, you know, on a boat for how long? And I've lots of money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like, it's big. <laughs> <laughs> Toddlers and Chuck E. Cheese, man. It's just like, look out. <laughs> All right, so what's question five? Okay. Um, oh, I covered that. It's pretty good vibes. Oh, so, okay, so I read another piece that Jimi Hendrix, um, you know, he didn't, he wasn't able to rewrite music. He was kind of self-taught and, you know, kind of went from what he was, he would listen to it, right, and then he would practice and play. So I thought that was pretty awesome. I guess I, I would want to know if he would think, you know, did that play into effect, you know, did, did he see that as an advantage, you know, not having that structure i guess you know from reading and, and writing music etc to just having that freedom of being able to listen to it practice and play you know because I, I feel like even in like today's society i said that really weird it gets so like structured in, in, in certain things like whatever career or whatever stuff you're doing you know he didn't it, that wasn't there like he had his obviously his military was there was a lot of rigidity in that but you know coming from growing up and learning to play guitar you know he was just going off what he felt he did which was cool he wasn't constrained by preconceived notions of this is yeah exactly. this is the box that or th this is what's been done and you can't break the sound barrier right right it, it is, he, yeah he's inventing you know like you were saying like new chords cranking it up so. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I'd want to know if he thought that kind of. I believe I think it kind of played an effect on him and like made him a part of who he was. So yeah, I'd, I'd want to know if he agreed with that or not. If he was just like, yeah, it would have been nice to maybe be able to rewrite a little bit uh, music, but you know, it wasn't like super important. So yeah, I think that's a that's a tough one. I mean, we good conversation to have. I mm -hmm. uh, just yeah. Because you're bringing in, like, if you deny someone an education, are they, this is sort of like, what was that? Um, uh, like if you have a really tough child, your tough childhood, yeah. you know, kind of out of that comes a diamond. You know, you're all this pressure. All the pressure. Yeah. Pressure on pressure you. Pressure makes diamonds. And then, and then that, that, the pressure makes a diamond, which is, I mean. That, Sometimes. Yeah, but that's very dystopian as well, right? I mean, if yeah. uh, get greatness, do you have to go through? Um, yeah, probably not. Yeah, yeah I don't know. but it was a part of what, yeah, I think made him. Uh, who knows, right? But the tough parts of my yeah. past, I, I mean, I cherish them just because. Mm -hmm. I mean, it does uh, make you, you know, it does make you stronger. Makes it makes you see things right. in a different way. Perceptive, uh, yeah, perceptive uh, changing. Yeah, yeah, you see. You see stuff and um, other folks may not. So cool, cool question. So now we're up on um, question six. Six. Question six. I blew through like, I know we've only done six questions. Um, I have two. This left. is my turn though. Okay, good. <laughs> good. So I think we're good. So, all right. So my question, so 1968 is kind of this, um, uh, lots of psych music coming out and so there's this idea that the culture or the counterculture that this music 
is the vehicle of um, spreading the message of the counterculture. And so with, with that idea in hand, um, there's, like, so there's LSD and it's being tested out at Stanford University and there's, there's three characteristics maybe of uh, this idea that, that time um, isn't constant and so, you know, how do you oh, man. portray that music? Yeah, so I think some that's of this deep. time's that's not kind of, well, Einstein, right? So relativity. Yeah. So you're in a Newtonian uh, physics. We're now talking relativity physics. And so you take your LSD, but your perception now is no longer um, that time is constant. Time is, is there's a 25 year old Jimi Hendrix. There's us now and there's us when you're watching this in the future. Yeah. Right? So what is time? You know, what is time? And, uh, but instead of numbers, <laughs> so so. But within psych music, can you? How do you play it so that there's this time distortion going on? Depersonalization, so you lose the sense of self, um, and then dynamism, so you take something and make everything kind of kind of wobble. And and when you look at Hendrix, I mean, certainly the depersonalization. You, I mean, you would argue that. His volume is what does that, right? He's just it's so loud. You get the depersonalization going on. Uh-huh. Um, you can't think. Um, they talk about him like he gets in front of the amps and he does the whole feedback thing, right? He, he, he adds feedback to his music. He stands right in front of the uh, speaker yeah. um, playing his guitar. And he has a filter on so he can turn it off and on. And, and that way, every now and then, you get that, what? Right? That just, you can't think. You hit, you get that sound and you're like, what? I mean, especially, right, right, your brain just like, make us, oh, I don't exist anymore. I don't exist. I don't want to exist with that sound. And so, and so, that, and so that depersonalization, yeah. and he plays that. And so I think you hit, he hits a lot of this in Purple Haze. And then dynamism, like the way you focus on words maybe. Um, and I, we were talking about Airborne earlier, you know, like, like he, he, he emphasizes a word that you would not normally think about as important. Yeah. And you, you just be like, hey. Normally you're just like, well, that's cool. No, Hayes. Like, wait, what? Hayes. And it just like sticks with you, is that? Yes. Yeah. You get like, you. Then you're like, whoa. Yeah. That is what. It is Hayes, right? It is all about Hayes. And so, so he does this stuff. So kind of my question on this is, um, there is, and I gotta, there's a, uh, uh, there's a couple academic papers that really break this out. But does he, because you're saying, like, does he, does he go into these practice sessions thinking about these three things and like how he's gonna hit them and just keep working on it, or is he just organically playing it, right? Yeah. So I like to think he's organically playing it. I feel like that's what he is, yeah. But he practices a lot. Like, when, yeah. for, like he just practices. I mean, he's like a work hard, play hard kind of guy. So I, mm-hmm. so um, it can't be everything you, airborne. <laughs> <laughs> he comes across like really natural. But I, you know, was he, was he trying to go for these things? Like how much did he, was he realizing that yeah. these are the things that, that he needed to hit on mm-hmm. and then make happen? And so that's kind of my question. Like how, I remember um, hearing Kurt Vonnegut was like at a um, a university uh, and 
somebody asked him about his book and he was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I just tried to write a book. Right? <laughs> and so it was that more Hendrix or, or did he actually think about these oh, different, you know what I mean? Like what you're saying, yeah. they're breaking down Kurt Vonnegut to Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah. And Vonnegut was like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Just playing music, man. <laughs> it could be, yeah. Or would Jimi Hendrix be like that? Like I was just playing music. Did he actually hit on those things? Yeah. Yeah. It seems like a very like chill, Guy. I mean, he's 25, but I mean, it, yeah, he seems free. Yeah. All right, you got question seven. Um, let me see. Oh, yeah. So, this is kind of off the beaten path, but Fort Campbell, Kentucky, uh, where he was stationed out of for a year or so. Um, I was just going to ask him, hey, Obviously, there's a lot of good food to eat down there. It's Kentucky. Mm, it makes me think of Kentucky Hot Browns. I was like, what are Kentucky Hot Browns? So, <laughs> Kentucky Hot Browns, it's it's an open-faced sandwich, basically. Right? And so, I think they put in, like, a small skillet. So, so wait a second. I gotta, when I invited Joe to come do, like, come do this... Yeah. The first thing Joe asked me was, what are we going to eat? That's why I like Joe. Like, Joe's got his priorities straight. Sorry. sorry. So, like, come on. So, now I'm in, so you got open face. It's important. You got the priorities. What's the food? <laughs> right? All right. So it's an open face sandwich. Starts with toast. They got it in a little skillet, right? Yeah. And then they'll put like uh, usually like a slice of turkey on it. And they got like some tomatoes, some bacon. They'll sprinkle some cheese on it and like a, a Mornay sauce, so like a white sauce. And then they put two pieces of bacon and they put it in the, uh, what you would call it? It's an it's like a fryer or an oven, but when they do it, it's the heat's from the top. Oh, broiler. Broiler, yeah, broiler, <laughs> broiler. So, and that kind of like browns up the cheese, man. It is really good. And I could totally see Jimi Hendrix, obviously him and his band, Bandmates are playing shows late till like 2 a.m. or later. Totally. You know they're going to go to like, you know, an after-hour spot to get some Kentucky Hot Browns, you know, after they've been partying. And- Dude, I, you were totally right. Like a Kentucky Hot Brown, like late at night, especially, oh, that would be... It hit the spot. It would totally hit the spot. Yeah. That would totally... And it would sober you up, like if you've been, you know, having a little, little bit to drink, sure. Or keep you from getting sick because it would just help absorb and give you some like fat to like prevent yes. it. Like if you, especially if you're... If you had indulged in like a like, yeah whatever <laughs> thing you're doing or yeah. whatever uh, stuff yeah yeah so I I want to know like yeah did you, did, a did you ever get a chance to eat Kentucky Hot Browns um, and what did you think were you a fan like what was your favorite food like, but this also kind of sounds kind of sad because it's like he's dead now so it's like oh yeah. you never got to try a Kentucky Hot Brown. I don't, I don't, so it was invented in 1927, so it, it was around when he was around. But if he didn't get to try it, you're kind of yeah. like poking it in Jimi Hendrix's ghost face. <laughs> you never <laughs> got purpose. But you did, you just did. <laughs> Jimi Hendrix, that's not what I meant. No. You never got to taste this magical thing. Now, I have to go to Kentucky and try this. Thing. Dude, you should. It was, it was one of my, we cooked it in a, a class that I took. And it was one of... What class were you in? It's like a cooking class. <laughs> Why is that funny? You're just like... Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> it was an intro to cooking class. You're still losing it. <laughs> Do I not? I, okay. So anyways, it was one of my favorite dishes that uh, I get to cook. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... 
Hey, it's Discs 101. We're going to talk about the Pistecki Hot Brown. <laughs> hey. It, that's exactly how it happened. <laughs> Remember the student's tea test was uh, admitted when Dr. Student was testing beer. Today, we're going to talk about how we use the Kentucky Brown test. <laughs> and I learned a lot about Kentucky Browns. I really want to try an authentic one, too, like in Kentucky. I don't, I don't know. I wonder if it's still out of the Brown Hotel. I have no idea, man. <laughs> you gotta just do like a whole show like, where we're just talking about Kentucky Browns. And like, what do they do? All right. I like that question. Right. With, with Jimi Hendrix, Kentucky, do you like Kentucky Browns? Browns? What was that? It was question seven. I got question eight. Um, so I, he, him, Jimi Hendrix views the guitar as technology. Mm-hmm. And so. It's not he's you know, the wah wah pedals. Um, you see purple haze where he's like he meets a musician. They're testing out a new pedal. He's like, I want that pedal. Like I want the new pedal. You, yeah. You, you hear things on those records that a lot of a lot of folks weren't doing, and he he adds all this technology. Um, he's constantly you know whammy bar, uh, wah wah pedal. Um, I think it was Octavia, uh, uh, Santa Ray Octavia pedal. Um, even the filters, when he talks about, I like that when you talk about the filter and your stand, like positive feedback is usually not a good thing, a dynamic system, because, yeah. right, you get you get overloaded, you know, like bad, that's how your points crash. Okay. But he's, he puts a filter on it, right? He puts a dampener right there in the middle, and he's like, and then he turns it on so your brain explodes. Yeah, because Jimmy, Jimmy Hendrix uh, don't care, yeah. J- well, he wants you not to know you're you. So, yeah. right, so, so, so you take, you you turn on that positive feedback loop and that technology. So I remember there's a quote, well, there's a quote about him talking about um, how sometimes he has these sounds in his brain that he can't quite play out on his guitar. Oh. So Elon Musk has been talking about these neural brain chips. So for enhanced cyber, because he's oh, yeah. he's envisioning the future where there's computers that are super smart and the only way humans are gonna be able to keep up is with cyber enhancement. Oh, wow. With Jimi Hendrix today, okay. be one of the first folks to get the chip implant and like connect it up to a synthesizer. Uh, I'm gonna say a hard yes. Just I want, my opinion. That's your opinion, yeah. yeah. So you're thinking like- Maybe. Judging by what, yeah, the past, you know, new, past new technology. <laughs> Newest tech, right? That's what he wants. You know, I could see him being like, yeah, man. He's, he, the guy's pushing the limits. He you is know? pushing the limits. Yeah. Airborne. Airborne. He gets pushing nine. I could see it. Okay, is it my turn for a yes. question? Yes, yes, okay. my turn. Well, damn, the Kentucky Hot Brown is my last question. Hmm. I got one. I get, so I have one on, um, you were talking about, like, he played music by hearing it. And there's yeah. a story of him where he's like playing a broomstick and like the social worker's like, we have got to buy this kid a guitar and he can't, they can't get enough money to buy the kid a guitar. And finally he finds this ukulele. The story is they find a ukulele okay. with one string. I heard and he that. starts playing all these songs on the ukulele with one string. One string. With one string. The thing is, one, one. This this story seem is kind of like George Washington and the cherry tree, like sure, yeah. like it comes across to me that way. It's like a it's like a legendary. What it's do you call like that? like a a legend. 
you could call it a legend. Yeah. We'll call it a legend. Yeah. Is that is that what this is? Is that a legend? I mean, it just seemed because like, one string with one string. Because I, I, I'm envisioning this five year old with this little ukulele playing right. it with one string. With you know, he's little, probably pretty good. Yeah, he's probably pretty good. Um, but it's just so sad. Like the other part is just. Oh, just, they only have one string. Well, yeah, it's a ukulele and you know, like yeah. a guitar. A real guitar, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it's it just, could be worse. It could have been a Kleenex box with a shoelace, you know? Like, yeah, I mean, pretty much. Worse. Worse. Yeah, I don't know. I and mean, it could be worse than a ukulele <laughs> with one string. Like, I, okay, that's like, pretty bad, yeah. Like, you can't. So how true is that yeah. story is really my question. Like, like I, I, I want to dive into that and just. I would too. I'd also I want mean, to hear I, the tunes he was playing on the ukulele. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great story. I think it really is. It's just. Um, it, it's Jimi Hendrix, right? Yeah, it's Jimi so Hendrix. So anybody's gonna play a one-string ukulele, <laughs> and rock it. It's <laughs> probably him. Yeah. It's probably gonna be Jimi. He grows up playing a one-string um, <laughs> uh, ukulele. So that was my question. But I think here's the last question. Last question, question. ten. Um, so this Boston Globe interview, and he's with that pretentious guy from Boston, and he, like and, you know, bugging Jimi Hendrix. And, okay. Um, and and he, the question, this you maybe kind of hit on this earlier was, what's your message? And, you know, Jimi Hendrix. You know, what the, the interviewer gets into the question by first saying, you know, there's a lot of fathers that are scared of their daughters listening to this music. What do you think about that? Hmm. And uh, Jimmy kind of answers, you know, well, people are just afraid of what they don't know. You know, even today, I can, I, when, I, when we travel, the band can't stay at certain hotels. Um, and so I really want people huh. just to get into the music and then listen to the lyrics. Yeah. was That was my interpretation of what was, what was being said. But what's the, what if, if Jimmy Hendrix is alive today, like what, what would he... I mean, is he, is he Moby, where he's talking about the environment? You know, what what's what does he see as as the message, or is it very much the same type of message where we need mm-hmm. to be um, communicating and talking with one another more uh, and and trying to solve problems? Is, is that the message? Yeah. So, so as he looks, if Jimi Hendrix saw the world today, you know, what what does he you know from his artist view? What would he see? Um, as his need to put a message out. Yeah. That's uh yeah, that's a big one. Like mm. 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 So that's question ten. That's a good question. <laughs> so we came up with so today we <clears throat> revealed what was inside the Wonderland box set, and then we talked about ten questions we wanted to ask Jimi Hendrix. Um, if you if you liked what you heard today please subscribe um if not uh please subscribe too and uh, yeah. if you're in Omaha, want to come down and see a baby shark beer down at the back line that'd be awesome thank you <laughs>